Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Who's been enjoying reading through Galatians? And there's a couple of us. Uh, it's usually good to enjoy the Bible if you're a Christian. No, no shame, no condemnation there, but it's been a, a good series so far. And um, today we're carrying on in Galatians chapter 2, and I have been given the second part of that, that verse, which some would say, I, I got the uh, easier one to preach, a rev. So we're going to be reading this morning from Galatians chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to read this whole passage out in, from verse 11. Now, I wonder if we could do something this morning and if we could stand together as we read the Word of God, not out of a tradition, but out of just wanting to posture our hearts and honor God's Word as we read. So if you're, if you're physically able, can we stand together as I read this? Verse 11 says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. When I saw that we were not, they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, "Since you are a Jew by birth, have since you a Jew by birth have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions?" You and I are both Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. How good is that? Verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if, I, if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that it has been documented and has been kept and, and, and preserved for us, uh, that we may read it and that we may engage with what your spirit is saying to us through it. Lord, this morning we pray that you would give us revelation in our hearts. 
not just an information that we leave here knowing a bit more, but that you would truly give us revelation in our hearts that would change us, that would, would, would bring the life of Christ more to the forefront of us. We pray that your scriptures would intersect our lives today, where we are now. Lord, as they were scribed, as they were written, as you inspired them, Lord, you knew where we would be today and you knew that this day would come and that we would read these scriptures and that you would be able to inspire, encourage and uplift us today. We thank you for that and we pray that we don't miss what you have in store for us. Would you help us to just hear what you're wanting to say? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And grab your seat. Who, who grew up with siblings? Yeah, quite a few of us. Yeah, growing up with siblings is pretty good fun, right? It, uh, it, keeps, you, it keeps you on your toes. They have these hashtags now, um, growing up with siblings, and these different memes of what, what, what life is like when you've got brothers or sisters. Can we throw a couple of them up, please, Phoebe? This one here. It says, when, when you say you're going to take a shower and your sibling says, no, I'm going to the shower first, the race is on. Next one. It says, growing up with siblings, trying to make them stop crying before you get in trouble. Shh, bro, you can hit me back before mum comes in. Next one. Trying to figure out which drink is less full so you can give it to your sibling. Yeah, I'll get the full one. You have the other one. Um, sibling breaks something. Don't tell mum. I won't. Mum comes home. Mum, guess who broke? Yep, Dolbin. Growing up with siblings. Come here. Why? Just come here. No, you're going to hit me. You know that one. Uh, this one, when parents go out and you're the older sibling, look at me. I'm the captain now. Growing up with siblings, it was, it, it was, it was you know, good fun. I've got five sisters. You can pray for me. Growing up with five sisters, that's traumatic. There's a lot, I don't live with them anymore, but there was a lot of stuff that I had to go through growing up with five sisters. But when you grow up with siblings, right, you, you learn the ways of the street. You learn the ways of warfare, right? Growing up with siblings because you've got, you know, a house where you're all living together and there's different territories in that house. And there's some clear territories like your bedroom, which is clearly your turf, you own that turf. That's your, your room. And siblings can't come into your turf because if they do come into your turf, it can trigger a turf war. You know, one of the ways you want to you rile up a sibling, you want to get them upset, you know what you do? You go to their doorway and you step foot in their door and you watch their face. Why is that? Because that's their turf. And if you step in their turf, you're, you're declaring war. This is what happened. If you want to go real far, you go into their room and you mess up their toys. Or if they come into their room and you're sitting on their bed playing with their toys, that could just spark all out chaos. World War Three. There are defined kind of spaces in the house which are, you know, your turf. But then there's like the, the mutual spaces. And I guess the epicenter of turf wars in my family was the kitchen sink. And I'll tell you why. It's because that was the place where we were forced to cooperate, to do the dishes. Anyone remember doing dishes before dishwashers came? Yep. I thought that's why you had kids. 
so you didn't have to do the dishes. And what would happen is we would get forced to, co- to cooperate in this space. And so we had our turf, my bedroom. They had their bedrooms. You don't cross the lines. But in this place, it's kind of like we all got to work together while mum and dad are watching. But as soon as they step out of the room, it's on. Doing the dishes, you know, washing a, washing a little bit, a bit of a splash. And then the, my sister would be like, uh, you splashed me. And then she'll be like, well, I'm just going to dry a little bit harder and dry a bit of water in my face. I'll be like, oh, you wet me. And then I'll get a cup and be like, splash water in the cup. And she'll get a plate and smash it and try it. No, it's too far. We live in Nolamara, but that's too far. It could escalate quite quickly. But what you learn when you're in, the, in that, that, that place is the art of Tea towel slinging, right? Everyone knows that. This, this is why I always want to dry. So I got weaponry. I'm ready. You splash me, bang. And this is what used to happen with us. We'd like get a little bit upset and bang. Whoever, who else? Confession time. You've ever whipped someone with a tea towel? We have some saints in this room. And just bang. But here's what I learnt. And here's what I used to think when I was a kid. I used to think that my parents, when we went to sleep, had some sort of underground dojo where they would go and learn for themselves the art of tea towel slinging because they could do it better than anyone. And I, I remember times when I would be slinging and I would be, you know, my sister would throw something at me and I would be like, all right, it's on we're about to go loco. You're in trouble now, Ese. I'm about to go loco. I'm about to turn you into nachos, Ese. I don't know why I turned Mexican when I remember my childhood, but some sort of identity stuff. But I'll be like swinging this thing, getting ready to give like, you know, this is like retaliation for splashing me. And then out of nowhere, I would hear, And a thong comes down the passageway and knocks the towel out of my hand. Turn around. And my mum is walking down the corridor to the theme song of Terminator. Another thong. Bang. I'm out. Cold. The master. Don't flick tea towels in my house. But she started it. <laughs> I just, you know, growing up with siblings, I learnt warfare. But, but in seriousness, one thing you do learn in family is that sometimes there is conflict. Sometimes there's disagreement. Sometimes we don't see things the same way and there needs to be a sorting out of what has taken place. And I don't encourage anyone to use the tea towel, get rid of the tea towel. But we see in this passage, yeah, well, I've got to behave myself. We see in this passage here as we enter into Galatians 2, the second part, that Peter, uh, Paul and Peter have a little bit of conflict. There's a bit of confrontation. 
Now, Reverend Tom last week uh, spoke and, and, and spoke about the, the unity within the body and how we are united on the things that really are important. And that we it can get to this place where we, we just kind of build divisions or, uh, you know, we let the, the smaller things break down relationship and about what is really important to us as Christians to believe. We've got to be united on those things. And then we move into this passage where we see that uh, in, there, there's a bit of division. There's a, there's a bit of, a, a bit of um, conflict that's taking place here. And uh, we, we read that Peter came to Antioch, and Paul's telling the story, and, and Paul had to oppose him because of his hypocrisy. Peter, at one point, was eating with the Gentiles, with the Gentile believers, and then when the, the other groups of Jewish people came, who, who obviously had a bit of influence, and Peter wanted to kind of, you know, not upset, when they came along, Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles and was now eating with the Jews and, and Paul's like, no, this can't be taking place. That's actually hypocrisy because you have a revelation from God that, that the gospel message has been opened up. The kingdom of God is open to all, yet you're living, you're living in um, contrary, in opposition to that. That's hypocrisy. And so Paul uh, brings this to, to Peter and we know that this is not just a, a, an accident by Peter. It's not just, oh, I didn't know that. Because in Acts chapter 10, we see that Peter actually has a revelation from God that the, the kingdom of God has been opened up to the Gentiles. Do you have that passage there, Phoebe? In Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter has this vision and God shows him what, what, uh, that the, the, the kingdom is being opened up to Gentiles. And then he goes out and they bring the gospel to Gentile believers and they're saved and they're filled with the Spirit right before Peter's eyes. And Peter himself says, we, we can't, you know, we have to be, to understand that the kingdom is now opened up to the Gentiles. So he understood this. It wasn't just a, you know, oh, I didn't know. He was living in opposition to what the revelation of God was, which uh, we see here Paul calls hypocrisy. And it wasn't just that his, his hypocrisy was damaging him. It says that there were other Jewish Christians that began to follow his leading. Even Barnabas saw what Peter was doing and said, okay, if, if that's the right way to do it, then we're going to go over here as well. We're not going to eat with the Gentiles, which is creating a, a conflict in itself in dividing and bringing division. I want to say, when, when we talk about conflict, sometimes what can happen is alarm bells go off in our minds because our understanding of conflict is not good. Anyone ever had bad conflict before? Bad confrontation? Didn't work well. But what if healthy conflict can actually be, actually be a pathway to unity? What if healthy conflict can actually be a, part, a pathway to us becoming closer? And in this moment here, it wasn't the conflict that caused division. It was the way that Peter was acting that was causing division. So Paul had to address it. Here's the first thought I want to leave with us this morning. There's a time to speak up. There is a time to speak up. In this moment, if Paul had not addressed what was taking place, there would have been division that crept in. We would have had uh, the, the different groups of Christians one would be probably thinking they're the elite group, the Jewish Christians, and then we would have had a Gentile, second-class kind of Christians. And Paul spoke up in this moment and said, that's not right. 
Peter, this is not the way that we should be doing this. We have to change this. You understand, you've got the revelation from God. There are times when we've got to speak up. There are times when we have to speak out, when we see uh, that there is a direct violation of the gospel in, in, in someone's world. But what's important is that we do that in a way that is healthy. We do that in a way that doesn't try to tear down or break down, but tries to build up. I love that when I said at the start here, it says in verse 11, When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. Here's a tip for us. When, we are, uh, when we're in conflict with someone, talk to their face. If you have tension, if there's a disagreement, you know the best place to, to go is to talk to the person. Not to talk about the person, not to talk to someone else about the person, but to go to that person face-to-face and to sit down with them in relationship and say, we're going to work this out. Healthy conflict requires us to go to someone. Jesus taught this, go, take it to that person. Leave your gift there. Go and make it right with that person. Go and talk to that person. He went to his face and he spoke to him about it. You know, healthy conflict can actually be a means of transformation for us. We might miss that. We might think that conflict is just scary, it's bad. But I believe that healthy conflict, healthy um, confrontation, healthy discussion when there's disagreement can actually be a way of transformation. There's three things on there, that, that slide. It says, um, this is kind of an idea with healthy conflict. It brings transformation to the individual. It brings restoration to the relationship. And it brings redemption to the event or circumstance. So we sit down, we meet together with the idea that this is an opportunity for transformation. Maybe I'm seeing something that, you know, is wrong. Maybe there's something that you can see in me that that needs to change. This is an opportunity for transformation in me. I've got to be humble enough to know that I'm not always right, that someone else could, could see something that I don't. We have to have that, but it's an opportunity for transformation. You know that saying, conflict resolution? Well, what if it went beyond just trying to get a resolution and it went to a place of transformation where we are allowed, where God can work in our hearts? But also with the idea of restoration to relationship. And sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes there is things that the, uh, the other people say or do that, that won't allow us to restore the relationship. But we're told that whatever we can do, let us live in peace with others as best that we can. So as we have conflict, as we, we, we disagree, we want to, to keep relationship paramount. Sometimes I'm going to not pick things because I value the relationship above being right. And sometimes I'm going to come to you because there's a, there's a fracture in our relationship and I value our relationship enough to have a bit of an un, a bit of a uncomfortable conversation that hey we want to restore this but then also the opportunity for redemption of whatever took place think about it we're reading a, about a conflict that took place 2000 years later this conversation happened and there was a there was a, a resolution that came from it and now the situation has been redeemed to where we are sitting here reading about it and learning from it what if our conflicts can become points of redemption where, where we, we later learn lessons that we can help others or others can look back and think, well, that, I see how that worked out. 
But sometimes we've got to speak up. I was thinking it wasn't that long ago when our Aboriginal brothers and sisters were not allowed to enter certain places, even places of worship, which when we preach the gospel that says the kingdom's been open to all, and then we practice something that, that says you're second class, does that not speak of hypocrisy? And so I'm thankful for people who spoke up. I'm thankful for someone like William Wilberforce who saw the slavery and spoke up because that's a violation of the gospel. We're not owning people. Sometimes we've got to speak up. And Paul, in this point, he, he thought it was important enough for the, for the preservation of the gospel message that he said something. Now, note it. It's not a disagreement about who's sitting in your seat. It's not a disagreement about, I don't like the color of your socks. Like, this is important. This is not, let's have conflict over everything. Let's just get, disagree over everything. This is like, in order to preserve the gospel, we've got to have a conversation about this. And we're going to do it in a way that, that brings about restoration, brings about redemption. Are you with me? Because the opposite can happen as well where we start to pick and tear down, which is what we, we left with last week, we can just divide and divide and divide on things that don't really matter. But sometimes we've got to speak up. Here's the second thought. Sometimes we've got to give up. There's a time to give up. What was taking place here is, is Peter was going to sit with the, uh, the, the Jewish Christians, and Paul says to him, we get the part of the conversation that he says, he said, when I saw that they're not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all of the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are now living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Peter, for some reason, and we can see that he was ashamed, he was worried about what other people would think, which takes us back to Galatians 1, where Paul says... If I, was wor- if I was still worried about the- seeking the approval of man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. And so Peter is kind of swayed in this. But what's taking place is Paul says, we can't go back to the way that we were living. You can't f- receive freedom in Christ and now not obey the law and then expect the other guys who uh, have been saved and come to Christ to now follow the law. You've got to give it up. You've got to let it go. If you try and rebuild the system, he says later in 18, if, if, if I'm, I'm a sinner, if I rebuild the old system of the law that I already tore down. You used to live like that. We used to live like that. We used to understand that. But now we've come to Christ and we understand that we're not righteous. We're not made righteous. We're not justified by obeying the law. It's through faith in Christ. And so if we go back to the way of, old way of thinking, the old system, the old way of living, then we're actually, that is sin. For me to rebuild that system when I've, I know that Christ has torn it down, he's, he, he's brought in a new covenant, for me to then try and rebuild that is actually sinful. And, 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 and the converse of the, the conversation is that what if, uh, you know, it would Jesus say to us that you no, no longer need to, to try and fulfill the law and then lead us to sin? Who says that? 
He says, well, if, if Jesus says to us, you no longer need to fulfill the law, is that leading us into sin? Surely not. So why then are you trying to go back to that? We live in, in a motivational kind of culture. You just got to try harder. You just got to keep pressing. You just got to keep pushing. You know what? Sometimes you got to give up. You know what the, the key to victory in Christ is, to living a victorious Christ, a victorious life in Christ? It's learning to surrender. It's learning to let go. It's learning to give up. It's learning to give up the old way of thinking. It's learning to give up the old way of living. It's learning to give up the old systems, the old patterns of life. Sometimes you just got to give it up because holding on to it is actually damaging. There may be things in your life that right now you're holding on to that are causing conflict inside, things that are going on in your world that you're holding on to that are actually damaging and destructive towards you. You know what God would say? You don't have to hold on to that. This is the grace of God. You can let that go. Sometimes you've got to learn to give up so that you can take hold of what God has for you. Paul's saying to Peter, we're not going back to that. We can't go back to that because if we go back to that, watch what's happening. These other guys are watching that and they're going back to that. Barnabas is now looking at that and he's going back to that. What are we going to do? We're going to set up two different systems here. You've got to learn to give up. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus with your life, and I'm not talking about just you know, liking him on social media. I mean giving your life to him. You've got to learn to give up. You've got to learn to let go. But I like to be able to make it work. I like to know that if I serve enough, if I give enough, if I love enough, if I do enough, then he's happy with me. But that's not grace. That's me earning. That's me striving. And I've got to let go of that. The Israelites, when they were led out of Egypt, you know, one of the hardest things for them was to institute the Sabbath, to, to have rest. Why? Because their whole background was slavery. Seven days a week, they had to work, they had to work, they had to work, they had to work. So when God says, you're going to take a day off, you know what happens the first time? They go out. They try to collect. Why? Because the old way is how they were, they were stuck in the old way. But sometimes you've got to let go. Who's ever heard of a, a monkey trap? I think I've, I've shared this before. In different parts of Africa, where hunters are, are, are wanting to hunt monkeys, they do these things called a monkey trap. And so they'll, they'll dig into a side of a, a, like a hill or a tree and they'll put inside of that, that little hole that they dig, like kind of like that, but an actual hole, not a plastic container. They'll put in berries and nuts into this and the hole is just enough, is just the size that a monkey can get its hand in. And so they'll do this while monkeys are watching. And then the monkeys will see that that's in there and they'll get really, I've seen a video of it, they'll get really inquisitive. They'll be like, what's in that hole? Little curious George. And they'll come over and they'll see the berries and the nuts in there and they'll put their hand in and they'll grab it. But the hunters have built the hole just small enough so the hand can go in but not big enough so they can bring something out of it. And this is what happens. The monkey realizes it's in trouble and it won't let go. Whatever it is inside of the monkey, it will not let go of that. It tries to pull its hand out. It gets very distressed, and then the hunter will come over and kill it. 
because it won't let go. And not letting go loses its life. Maybe there's things that God is saying to us, you've got to let go of that. You've got to give that up. You've got to lay that down, an old way of thinking, an old way of living. And we're holding on to it, and we're trying to fight for dear life to hold on to it and keep you know, whatever God has want for us, and we're trying to hold on. And he just says, let it go. Give it up. And this is what Paul says to Peter. We were like this. We held on to the law like it could save us. And then Christ came and died for us and was resurrected and says to us, that old way is not the right way. Let go of it. And so we let go of it. And then we live in freedom in Christ. And you want to go back to that? You want to put your hand back in the trap? You want to hold on to that because it makes you feel secure? Because your friends are doing that? Because other people are looking at you? He says, we don't do that. If we do that, that is sin. And we're setting ourselves up against Christ. Because if we could save ourselves by the law, then Christ died for nothing. So sometimes we've got to learn to give up. We've got to learn to give up. Here's the last thing I want to say. There are times when we need to, there comes a time to live up. To live up. One of the biggest misconceptions which damages Christians is that Jesus is an additive to your life. You hold the old way, whatever it was like before you came to him, and then you add Jesus to that, and you're all good. It's all good. Just put the Christian sticker on, get a CD, put in your car. You know, go to the right places, lift your hands at the right times, but just add Jesus to your life. And Jesus is an additive but his life is not. His life was a replacement. There is an exchange that takes place because as we give up, we get to live up. We give up the old life and we receive Christ's life. For it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. It's not I get to keep my old way of thinking. I get to keep my old way of living. I get to keep my old way of trying to follow and obey the law. And then just add Jesus to the mix. It's Jesus replaces all of that. And Jesus becomes my new life. And so I give that all up. I let it all go. And I take hold of, I receive this gift of grace that is Jesus Christ. And it's his, his life in me now that I want to live. To let go of what was and to take hold of what is. And he says to, it says to them there, I, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Going into different places in um, you know, India, Africa, uh, preaching the gospel to Hindus and seeing, you know, Tom, times when we've been over there in India and we preach and, and you know, heaps and heaps of Hindus come to Jesus. And their understanding is I keep everything and add Jesus to the mix. And we preach the gospel and say, no, no, everything goes. Jesus is the mix. But I want to keep the idols. 
You know, my family's been worshiping this way for, for generations. We let go of those old traditions. We let go of those old systems because Jesus replaces all of that. And we get mixed up Christians living in different spaces where they're following one, one they've got one foot in one camp and one in the other. But the call to us is to, to, to let go of your life and to take hold of his life. I was crucified with Christ. When he died, his death is my death. That means the death of my desires. That means the death of, of, of some of my dreams I've got to let go. It, I don't come to Jesus and then say, hey, Jesus, you know, when I was 15, I had this dream about doing this and this and this and this and this, and now I want you to do that for me because I'm adding you to my life. Who's ever heard of, of the difference in understanding how the solar system was working? There is the, the uh, geocentric understanding of the solar system, which for so many years was what people held to. Geocentric means the solar system, everything revolves around the earth. Everything just revolves around the earth. And that was the understanding is that it's geocentric and that it changed. And, and, and we came to the understanding that it's heliocentric, which means that the earth revolves around what? The sun. There's a difference. Well, I, I, I think it's funny because I, I think we like to be the center of the universe. We like to think that everything revolves around us. But the gospel says everything revolves around Jesus. Jesus doesn't revolve around you. Hello? Everything revolves around him. And so just as it is heliocentric, the gospel is heocentric, which means it revolves around him, not meocentric, which means Jesus revolves around me and it's about my life and my life getting better and my life doing this and my life doing that. It's about his life because it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. It's about his life, his way of doing things, his way of thinking. And in order to take hold of that, I've got to let go of mine. I've got to be ready to let go of mine. And what, what, what makes me laugh at times is that we hold on so tightly to something that is insignificant when you compare it to the greatness of Jesus. Think about it. Some of the things we hold on to, when you look at the greatness, the glory of Jesus, it's like, why would I do that? And then I find myself doing that. And then enters his grace. Because it's by his grace that we let go. And it's by his grace that we take hold of. It's by his grace. And Paul finishes that there by saying this, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. ESV translates it, I do not nullify the grace of God. I don't want to waste the grace of God. I don't want to uh, you know, say, look, I can do it my way. I can just add this. I can do this. I can do that. I can do that. And then you know, God's grace is right there for me. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't really need that. Can you see that sometimes we do that? Sometimes we're like, God, I'm good. I got this. I know the way. I'll sort it out. It's all good. I'll carry it. I, I got it. I was, it was my son's birthday just a couple of weeks ago. And we, I took him down to the shops and bought him a present. So we went out and got this um, Batman cave thing that he, he loves. But the present was so big that we're like, I'm buying it, going through the shops, and I've got some stuff that I'm carrying as well. 
And he comes, you know, he comes to me and he's like, Dad, let me carry it. And like this box is like nearly as big as him. And I'm like, it's going to take us ages for you to carry that. And I give it to him and he holds it and he's like holding on to it and he's trying to like staggering, but he's like, I'm going to carry it. I'm going to carry this box because I want this box and I, I know what's in it. And uh, I'm like, mate, just give me the box. Let me carry the box. I can carry it. He's like, no, no, I'm going to carry it. I'm so excited. And I was like, how about I carry the box? This would have taken us 44 hours to get out of the shops. We would have been sleeping there, setting up a tent in the camping section. We would have been there for days. We would have had to call search parties, all sorts of stuff. It would have taken him so long to carry this box. But he's trying to carry this box. And I'm like, dude, just give me the box. Let me carry the box. And you know what? We'll get in the car and I'll open the box and I'll give you the box. How often do we do that? God, I'm good. I'll carry it. I'll just hold on to it. I'll carry it. And I'll stagger. But I'll carry it. And God's like, let me carry it. Just give me the box. This is the grace of God. No, no, no. I'm good. I've got it. And he's like, let me carry it. I'll walk with you. I'll, I'll, I'll do the heavy lifting. That phrase has been in my spirit for like the last couple of months. God will do the heavy lifting. God will do the heavy lifting. He, he does, it's His grace, it's His work that He does the work. You know, when we pray in the morning on a Sunday, the prayer is, we'll bring what we've got. You do the heavy lifting. God, we'll bring our words, we'll bring our instruments, we'll bring our teas and coffees, but you've got to do the heavy lifting. Because my words can't change lives. It's your grace that does that. And I wonder today if, if maybe we're holding on to stuff that we don't have to carry. And God's standing there. He's st- sitting next to us. And He's saying, just give it to me. Let me hold that. Let me carry that for you. Some of those things He won't carry for us because He'll, he'll do away with them because they're not good for us. And we just have to learn to hand that over. But maybe there's some burdens. Maybe there's some things that, that are in your heart that you're, you're, you're holding on to, that you're laboring over, you're striving with. And God says, just, just give me that. Let me carry that. Let me do the heavy lifting. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.